So tonight at 6.30, Super Bowl 56 takes place. It's been since 1989 that my Cincinnati Bengals have played in the Super Bowl. But as I was singing that song, reminded of how so many people are going to be roaring tonight over a Super Bowl, we have a much greater reason to be roaring, and it's because Jesus is alive. Amen? Man, he's alive. He's alive. Amen. So I want you to look at somebody this morning, say, I'm glad you're here, but also say, Jesus is alive. Welcome those around you. All right. Well, good morning. You may be seated. Welcome to Northside Baptist Church. We're so thankful that you are here. If this is your first time with us, welcome. We would love for you to let us know that this is your first time here. Uh, you can do that a couple ways. Uh, there's a QR code that you can scan inside the bulletin, fill out a little bit of information about yourself, or there's a connection card out there in the foyer. We do have a, a welcome gift for you. Uh, We're just so thankful that you're here to worship with us this morning. We have a lot of exciting things going on at Northside, so I want to encourage you to please be looking at your bulletin, pay attention uh, to that. We have a, a Women of Northside event that's coming up soon. They need you to sign up for that. Um, our youth is, are going to be hosting a, a mystery dinner theater um, to raise money for camp, and so you'll get more information about that. We're going to need you to sign up for that if you plan on coming, um, and so we'll give you more information about that as well. There um, are no evening activities tonight or on Wednesday night because it is winter break. Uh, you see we got a quarterly conference on Sunday, February 27th at 7 p.m., but also you'll notice in the bulletin, if you were with us last week, um, you got to hear about our new prospective associate pastor. So he's going to be here the last weekend in February. Um, and so just a couple things that I got to make sure that you're aware of. Number one is at the end of that Sunday morning service at February 27th, we will have, we'll go right into a called church conference. And so if you've got kids We'll give you a couple minutes to go get your kids out of nursery children's church so everybody can be in here to vote on that. But we got to give you a two-week notice when we have a church conference. So this is your two-week notice. Also, um, we got a couple of different things for you. On Saturday evening, all the details are in here. Uh, we're going to have a meet and greet for this prospective candidate and his family. 
Uh, we're going to need you to bring some food for that. So you're going to see Miss Robin. Uh, let her know, and she'll tell you what we need, and you can let her know what you're going to bring. It's going to be from 3.30 to 5, a Q&A at 5 o'clock. We'll come in here. That's an opportunity for you to ask him questions. What's not in the bulletin is an opportunity for our students, so our youth and their parents. And that's going to be Saturday morning at 10 a.m. in the Fellowship Hall. We'll just have a light breakfast. And so students and their parents, um, and then siblings, obviously. We don't want you leaving siblings at home. You come, and you're going to get a chance to meet him. So 6th um, grade through 12th grade, it's an opportunity for you to get to ask him questions in a more intimate, smaller setting. So you want to write that down on your calendar. That's Saturday the 26th at 10 a.m. Um, praying the scripture this morning comes out of Psalm chapter 9. It is verse 10. And it says, And those who know your name put their trust in you. For you, O Lord, have not forsaken those who seek you. And one of the things that we want to do each and every Sunday is we want to sing the scriptures. right? We want to preach the scriptures. Uh, and we want to pray the scriptures. And so every week, or most, most of the times, we have a scripture that we focus on, and it's just, I'm just encouraging you to think about this verse and to pray through this verse. However the Spirit prompts you to pray through this verse, continue to preparing your heart for worship. So do that, and then I'll, I'll pray for us. Father God, your word says that those who know your name put their trust in you. Father, this morning as we study Ephesians 4, it is going to be very clear that there are many who do not know you. You are not part of their thoughts. You are not part of their actions. They are unconverted. They are lost, unbelieving men and women. They have never personally trusted in you, never taken hold of you as Lord and Savior of their life, never confessed their sins, repented of their sins. Lord, they are not putting their trust in you. But Paul is also going to make it very clear that those of us who have learned Christ, trusted in Christ, that our lives are changed. We are different. We are not the same. So this morning, we put our trust in you. Father, whatever is going on in our heart and our life, we put our trust in you. For you, O Lord, have not forsaken those who seek you. Father, we have members of this church, brothers and sisters in Christ, who, Lord, are sick, dealing with cancer, actively undergoing treatments, others recovering from COVID. They're not able to be with us today. We pray for them. Father, we have family members who have siblings, family members who are dying. Lord, we know that you will not forsake them that you are there with them, that you will comfort them, that you will always be present in their life. Father, remind us this morning, whatever we have going on in our life, that we can bring it to you. That we can come to you. You invite us to come, burdened in the heavy laden. So we come. Father, we ask that you would move in this place. Spirit of God, move in our hearts so that we know when we leave here we were in the presence of God and God showed up 
And God did. And God always does. For your glory and your honor. We ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you please stand and let's continue to worship together. Standing on the promises of Christ my King, through eternal ages let His praises ring. Standing on the promises of God my Savior, standing. Standing on the promises of God Standing on the promises that cannot fail When the howling storms of doubt and fear assail By the living word of God I shall prevail Standing on the promises of God Standing, standing Standing on the promises of God, my Savior, standing, standing. I'm standing on the promises of God. Standing on the promises of Christ the Lord, bound to him eternally by love's strong cord. Overcoming daily with the Spirit's sword, standing on the promises of God. Standing, standing, standing on the promises of God, my Savior, standing, standing. I'm standing on the promises of God. Standing on the promises I cannot fall, listening every moment to the Spirit's call, resting in my Savior as my all in all. Standing on the promises, God, standing, standing, standing on the promises of God, my Savior, standing. Standing, I'm standing on the promises of God. Standing on the promises is sweet to be in Jesus, isn't it? Amen. Resting in Him. Tis so sweet to trust in Jesus, just to take him at his word, just to rest upon his promise, just to know, thus saith the Lord. Jesus, Jesus, how I trust him, how I proved him more and more. Jesus, Jesus, precious Jesus, oh, for grace to trust him more. Oh, how sweet to trust in Jesus, just to trust his cleansing blood, just in simple faith to plunge me neath the healing cleansing blood. 
Jesus, oh, for grace to trust him more. Yes, tis sweet to trust in Jesus, just from sin and self to cease, just from Jesus simply taking life and rest and joy and peace. Jesus, Jesus, how I trust him, how I've proved him more and more. Jesus, Jesus, precious Jesus, oh, how grace to trust him more. I'm so glad I learned to trust him, precious Jesus, Savior, friend. And I know that he is with me, will be with me to the end. Jesus, Jesus, how I trust him, how I've proved him more and more. Jesus, Jesus, precious Jesus, oh, for grace to trust him more. Thank you. You may be seated. Stop 
give you praise. For great is thy faithfulness. When we walk through life's darkest valleys, we will look back at all you have done and we will shout our god is good and he is the faithful This time, our children are going to make their way to Children's Church. So y'all can head to the back. Everybody else, if you'll please turn to Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4. Paul writes in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 1. He said, I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, 
urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. That He urges us to walk, to walk, to live in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. So I'm just curious, do we have any Bengals fans in here? What, what I mean by Bengals, I don't mean the Cincinnati Bengals. The team that's playing in the Super Bowl tonight for the first time since 1989. I'm not a bandwagon fan. I grew up north of Cincinnati. I am a Bengals fan. And there is plenty of room on the bandwagon to root for Joe Burrow and the Bengals. Who day? All night long if you want. I'm not talking about those Bengals. I'm talking about the Bengals. The famous 80s group that sang the song, Walk Like an Egyptian. We got any of those fans in here, right? Paul's down here doing it, right? The, so, right, just a fun little catchy song that's going to be stuck in your head and the rest of the service if you know that song. Uh, what, what it would be like if we all in our daily lives walk like an Egyptian. Or one of my favorite songs that is always on the playlist on long road trips, uh, Walking in Memphis. Love that song, right? I put on, I want to sing so bad, but I'm not. Put on my blue suede shoes and I boarded the plane. Right, I love that song. But when you Google, you don't even have to use Google for this. The most popular song with the word walk in its title, it's Johnny Cash's I Walk the Line. It's without a doubt. Johnny Cash married Vivian Liberto in 1954. Two years later, he wrote the song I Walk the Line. He realized, right, I'm now a married man. I'm to be faithful to my wife. So this song is a song about being true and faithful to his wife. I, again, I want to sing, but I won't. I keep a close watch on this heart of mine. I see my eyes wide open all the time. But here's the thing. Several years later, Johnny Cash met a woman by the name of June Carter. And they had an affair. And Johnny though he understood and recognized marriage should have changed him, he was unable to walk the line that he sang about. He was unable to remain faithful to his wife. This morning in our text, God, through the Apostle Paul, calls us to walk and live in a certain way. There's a certain way that we are to walk, a certain way in which we are to live, And he recognizes that because Jesus Christ has changed us, we ought to walk this way. So this morning, I want to draw your attention to three truths. There's not going to be any notes on the screen. It's very simple. And I actually want to let the three truths guide us this morning. And I want us to think about it in terms of your testimony. So right, when we talk about sharing your testimony, what you have are three parts to that your life before Christ, how you came to trust and believe in Christ, and then how Christ has changed your life since He became Lord and Savior of your life. And here's the deal this morning. Every single one of us in this room, every single person watching online, you have a story. You have a testimony. And the question for us is this, where are you in this story? Now, all of us, God has created us to be part of a grand story, 
a story that where he's the creator, he's the designer, we rebel against him, we're broken, but he redeems us, and he brings us back to himself. And so hopefully you're all part of that story. But when we look through these verses, where are you? Will you say, Pastor, I'm at the beginning This morning, this is describing where it's describing somebody who doesn't know Jesus. I'm realizing that's where I am. I don't have a relationship with Christ. Or would you say, Pastor, this morning, I've just recently come to know Christ. I've just recently learned about Christ, and He's changing my life. Or can you say this morning that you have been changed through Jesus and you are walking in righteousness and in holiness? That you are walking in a manner worthy of the calling of to which we have been called. So I hope you have a copy of God's Word. Would you please stand in honor of the reading of His Word? We're going to be in verses 17 through 24 this morning. 17 through 24. And this is the Word of the Lord. Now this I say and testify in the Lord, that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. They are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to their hardness of heart. They have become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. But that is not the way you learn Christ. Assuming that you have heard about Him and were taught in Him as the truth is in Jesus, to put off your old self which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires, to be renewed in the spirit of your minds and to put on the new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. You may be seated. So here's where I want to begin. Your life before Christ. The Apostle Paul, writing under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, says, Now this I say and testify. What Paul is about to say is important. It's urgent. He has just spent a large portion of Scripture here, verses, talking about how what it looks like to live in a manner worthy of the calling to which we've been called is that you and I will walk in unity and in maturity. We spent weeks talking about we're to be united and we are to mature. But now what he's going to do is he is going to say to walk in a manner worthy means that you are going to walk in personal holiness. How you live your life matters because of Jesus. And so he says, now this I say and testify in the Lord. Paul is writing not based upon his own authority. He's writing in the Lord. He is writing with the authority of the Lord Jesus. And here's what he says. That you must no longer, here's that word again, walk. That you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. So Paul is writing to people in the church in Ephesus who were, many of them, unconverted Gentiles. So by Gentiles, it meant they were not Jews. They were were not from a Jewish lineage. They, They were not born Jews. They were Gentiles. They were not Gentiles who converted to Judaism. They were, at one point, unconverted Gentiles. They were pagans. They were lost people. They have since been saved. They're part of the church, but they are living in Ephesus, which is a very ungodly, immoral town surrounded by other pagan Gentiles. And so he says to them, you are no longer to live like a Gentile. Now, what does he mean by that? Is he saying Gentiles work in government? Gentiles are politicians, therefore you as a Christian can't be a politician. Is that what he's saying? No. Is he saying Gentiles 
take medicines. You are a Christian, therefore you cannot take medicine. That's not what he's saying. What he is saying is the way you live your life should be drastically different than the way you used to live your life. You are no longer to live as a Gentile. He's saying don't walk, live like the Gentiles who don't have God in their thinking or in their actions. And he says a lot about this former way of life. And as we work through this, is this where you are this morning? If you're honest, does this describe you? So what does he say about them? No longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. That word futility means vanity. It ought to take you back to Solomon or Ecclesiastes. Vanity of vanities. Meaningless. It also can mean emptiness. New Living Translation, it says, hopelessly confused. The message says, empty-headed. God is not a part of an unbeliever's thought process. Right? He's not there. The futility of their minds. He continues, they are darkened in their understanding. In other words, he's saying they are spiritually blind. Paul writes elsewhere, I think it's 2 Corinthians, that the God of this world has blinded the minds of unbelievers. He's blinded them so that they cannot see the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ. So prior to Jesus, not only is he not a part of your thought process, but Paul says you are spiritually blind. You can't see the things of God. He continues, alienated from the life of God. God is life. God is the giver of life. And God as life manifests, he gives life to his children. But what he says about unbelievers, those who have never given their life to Jesus, is they are spiritually dead. They're dead in their sins. Not only blind, but dead, cut off from the life of God. Why? Because of the ignorance that is in them due to their hardness of heart. Because of the ignorance that is in them. They are ignorant. Unbelievers, lost people, are ignorant of God. Now hear me. It's not because God hasn't revealed himself to them. The New Testament is clear, Romans chapter 1, that God's eternal power in divine nature is seen in the things He has made. We call this general revelation. You go outside and you just look to the heavens and you look around, they are declaring, they are screaming to you, not that you're here by millions and millions of years of chance and happenstance, but that you're here because there's a Creator. There's a God, the God of the Bible, who made you and created you so that you are without excuse. But they're ignorant of the things of God. Not because he hasn't revealed himself to them, but because they have rejected him. They, Paul says in Romans, have suppressed the truth. They don't know him personally. But he continues, due to their hardness of heart. You know anybody who has a hard heart? They are simply unwilling to repent from their sins and turn to Jesus. It doesn't matter how you explain the gospel to them. They just have a hard heart when it comes to the things of God. Their hearts are hard. But then look what he says. They have become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality, greed to practice every kind of impurity. See, not only does an unbeliever not have God in his thoughts, he doesn't have God in his life. You with me? Because here's what he says. They become callous. The Greek word for callous has this idea of to lose capacity to feel shame or embarrassment. Aren't you thankful that when God created your bodies, He created your body so that you feel pain? I mean, there's a lot of pain we don't like to feel, but you're thankful for it. When you stick your hand in the fire, you know, oh, that's hot, get it out. 
Because if you couldn't feel that it was hot, what would you do? You'd just keep your arm there, and you, you'd catch on fire. You'd burn up. You'd die. you feel it, and you pull back. But sometimes your fingers right, become calloused so that they're not as sensitive as they once were to pain. What he's saying is lost people become calloused. Their hearts become so hard that they no longer feel conviction, guilt, or shame. Some of you know what this is like because you've been there prior to Christ. You committed a sin, and it felt wrong. You felt guilty. You felt ashamed. And then you did it a second time, and a third time, and a tenth time. And that guilt and shame started wearing off, didn't it? Because you became callous to it. But he continues, not only were they calloused, but they've given themselves up to sensuality. Behavior completely lacking in moral restraint. Usually with the implication of sexual immorality. Do you know anybody in your life that you would describe the way they're living as reckless? You would say, man, the way you're living is reckless. It is immoral. No thought for God. And then he says this. Greedy to practice every kind of impurity. They want more of it. They lust for more and more sin. This stops satisfying them, so they go deeper and deeper into sin. Here's what you have, verses 17 through 19. You have an outright moral rebellion against God. This was every single one of us before Christ. So two things before we move on to the second thing. Number one is, does this describe you? Just be honest with God this morning. I would love to believe that everyone in here is a believer who loves Jesus, but maybe you're not. And maybe as I describe someone who is spiritually blind and dead in their sin, and God is not a part of your thought process or your life, maybe you'd say, Pastor, that's me. And the reality is this morning you need Jesus. You need Jesus because the way you're living is only going to lead to one place, and that's an eternity in hell apart from Jesus Christ. So this morning, you need to confess your sins, turn from your sins, and you need to cry out, Jesus, save me from this kind of life. I don't want to live this life anymore. Jesus, save me. And if you cry out to him, he will save you right now, right where you are. But here's the second thing I want to point out to you, and that is this. But by the grace of God, go I. It's really easy to see these kind of people and how they live their life and to begin to condemn them and judge them and think we're better than they are. But by the grace of God, you and I would still be spiritually dead, and we would be blind, and we would be on our way to hell. But God, in His grace, saves us from our sins. Amen? But by the grace of God, go I. And so, every single one of us, if you, if you believe in Christ, you have a, this was my life before Christ. It's probably not a life you're proud of but you have that life before Christ. But then, in Christ, your story, if you know Jesus, is you have come to know Christ. So look what Paul says, verse 20, coming to know Jesus Christ, but he's just spent some verses talking about how they're no longer to live as Gentiles. This is how Gentiles live. And then he says, but that is not the way you learn Christ. The message says, but that's no life for you. You learned Christ. You have learned who Christ is. O'Brien says, learning Christ means welcoming Him as a living person and being shaped by His teaching. He says, you have learned Christ. There was a moment in your life where you welcomed Christ. He showed you your sin. 
He called out your name. Do you remember? Man, I got teary-eyed when Brian said that. Do you remember the day he called out your name? You learned Christ. You heard of Christ. And Paul says, you're not the same. He continues, assuming that you have heard about him. Jesus is the content. You've heard about Christ. That you were taught in him. Jesus is the teacher. Let me say it again. This isn't man's words. This is the very words of God. And when you read this, you are reading the words of Christ. This is his word to us. When you heard about him and were taught in him as the truth is in Jesus. Anybody watch the show uh, Mandalorian? Or the, or the book of Boba Fett, right? He appears in there. So in, in the Mandalorian on Disney+, Plus, right? they have this saying that the Mandalorians say, this is the way. And then they respond what? This is the way. This is the way, right? This is, they're saying this is the way that a Mandalorian, this is the standard. This is how we are to conduct ourselves. Hear me, Jesus Christ is the way. And everything changes when Jesus calls out your name. Everything changes. Christianity is not be good and God will save you. That is not Christianity. Christianity is you are a wretched, dead, blind sinner on your way to hell and God reached down into your life, called you, saved you, has transformed you, and in light of that, you now live for Him. It's not do good and you'll be saved. It's I've saved you, now walk in this manner worthy of the calling to which you've been called. He changes everything, your heart, your thinking, your understanding, your desires, your affection. So two questions. Number one, do you personally know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior of your life? Do you know him? I read a, of a little girl who was getting a swine flu shot, and the nurse asked, sweetie, which arm do you want it in? This little girl looked right at her mom and said, in my mama's arm. And that would be great if my mom would have just taken all my shots that I had to have when I was little. And that Ryan can take them now, right? That, that'd be fantastic. But here's the thing, right? Moms can't take shots for you. Moms also can't believe in Jesus for you. You will not get to heaven because somebody else prayed for you or believed on Jesus for you. You personally must come to the point where you recognize your sin, you recognize your need for Jesus, and you call upon His name. So do you personally know Jesus? Second question is this. Are you telling other people about this Jesus? And will you look, let's go back with me again, really quickly, at verses 17 through 19. And we think about unbelievers, lost people, who we once were. Futile in their minds, darkened, alienated, ignorant, hardness of heart, callous, giving themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. You know what you realize really quick? You can't save anyone. You cannot be convincing enough to take this kind of person, the person I was prior to Christ, the person you were prior to Christ, you can't save them. But God can. And He's in the business of supernatural transformation. He changes people's hearts and lives. You cannot save them. But what you can do is point them to the glory that is in Jesus Christ. Through your testimony and through opening your mouth and speaking the words, 
people can hear of saving faith in Jesus Christ. Church, are we convinced that people apart from Jesus are going to hell? And are we telling them because we love them that they need Jesus? Now, who in your life needs to hear right now? Who in your life needs that text message, needs that letter, needs that phone call, needs that coffee time to say, listen, I love you, I'm burdened for you, do you know Jesus? And will we be the kind of people who are going to live as those who want to see lives changed for the glory of Jesus Christ? We must proclaim the gospel to others because we know from our own experience when Jesus Christ saves us, he changes us. So your life before Christ, how did you come to know Christ? What a, I didn't even know they were singing, We Will Remember. Man, what a perfect, what, man, I love when God does stuff like that. But do you remember that moment that Jesus saved you? But here's the third thing as we continue through these verses your life after Jesus Christ. So here's what Paul does, right? He says, You no longer walk in this way. And then he gives us three verbs. Verse 22, here's number one to put off, to put off your old self. That's first. And then he says, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires. Second, to be renewed in the spirit of your minds. And third, to put on the new self, created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. So to put off your old self. That, that former way of living that he just described in verses 17 through 19. He says, that old self, when you come to Jesus, must die so that Jesus Christ can now rule and reign in your heart, in your life. Hear me, because I know this is contrary to what the culture says and even contrary to what a lot of Christians are teaching today. When you come to Jesus, there must be a break with your old life. You cannot continue to live the same way, in living in the same sins, doing the same things, because Jesus changes you. That old self dies. Now, that doesn't mean we will be sinless. Sin still remains, but that sin that remains must no longer rule and reign over us. The Bible often speaks of our sin enslaving us. So think about it this way. You're in a prison cell, and there's a door, and it is locked, and you are enslaved in your sin, and there is no way out. You are a captive prisoner to that sin, and you're there forever because you can't get out. But then Jesus Christ calls your name, right? And he, and he takes that prison door and he tears it open so that you are now free to walk out in freedom and in deliverance from the bondage of sin. You're free. But here's what happens. At some point, that new man who loves Jesus, that old man begins to stir back up and he walks right back into that prison cell. Every single one of us, even though we have come to Christ, have found ourselves wrestling, struggling with the sin. We know Jesus has provided freedom, but we find ourselves right back in that prison cell of sin. But here's the beautiful thing. After you give your life to Jesus, and if you are here now, you walk back into that sin, private, public, but you're in that sin, and you know it. Here's the thing. Jesus will never put the door back on that cell. Because you're his. And he has provided you freedom. And all you have to do, if you are enslaved to sin, and in that cell as a believer, is cry out, Jesus, rescue me from this sin, and walk out. Because he's provided you deliverance. 
to, 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 to get away from this old man. So brother, sister, if you are in enslaving sin, will you cry out to Jesus for rescue and will you confide in a brother and sister and say, hey, will you pray for me? Will you hold me accountable? I don't want to be enslaved to this any longer because Christ has purchased a freedom for me. But then he goes on to say, to be renewed in the spirit of your minds, right? The, our minds are not neutral. He starts by talking about our minds. Our minds are not neutral. They are either fixed on God, the things of God, or they are not. But through the Spirit of God, our minds can be renewed. They can be changed. And then he says, to put on the new self. To put on the new self. It's, it's this idea of taking off the old clothes and putting on the new clothes. John Stott, in his commentary, talks about how the kind of clothing we wear depends on our role or the occasion. So if you go to a wedding, certain occasion, you know people are going to be dressed a certain way. If you go to a funeral, it's a different occasion. Dress appropriately for the funeral. Don't get those two mixed up, right? There's a certain way in which you dress. It goes for your, it goes for your role, right? Um, a police officer dresses a certain way, puts on certain clothing. A soldier puts on certain clothing. A prisoner wears certain clothing, right? You put on a certain clothing because that's who you are. And what Paul is saying is you have been changed. Therefore, you get new clothing. You are a new creation. God doesn't take a good person and make him better. God takes a dead person and makes him alive. You're new, completely different than you once were. Therefore, you ought to live completely different. In Christ, we have been made a new creation. We are created, look what he says, after the likeness of God, in true righteousness and holiness. Study the Old Testament. Study the people of God, the Jews. God wants the Jews to look different, to act differently than the nation surrounding them. We should not be surprising when we come to the New Testament to see that Jesus Christ does the same thing for His people. That when we are saved, we are different. We live differently, we act differently, we speak differently. So what he's about to do, and we're going to spend a couple weeks on this, is he's going to get very practical. Very practical. And there's five things that he's going to talk about that I promise you there's going to be at least one that's really going to hit you between the eyes. So let me just give you a sneak peek at what he's going to say. We're going to look at this one next week. Verse 25, Therefore, having put away falsehood, put it away, take it off. Falsehood's part of your previous life. Let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members one of another right? Falsehood, old life. You have learned Jesus. You have been saved. So now you walk differently. You walk in truth. Very practical, very personal, because God is righteous. God is holy, and he's creating us and recreating us in his image so that we can walk righteous and holy lives. Let me close with an illustration. Tony Merida has a commentary on Ephesians, and he tells the story of the time that he and his wife went to Ukraine to adopt. And at one time, they adopted not one, not two, not three, but four kids. One time, out of an orphanage in Ukraine. Four kids. They went over with no kids. They came back with four. They spent 35 days in Ukraine before they were finally given permission to take their four kids out of the orphanage and bring them home. He said, our kids had been wearing the same smelly clothes and the same worn-out shoes every day 
since we arrived. Now that they had permission to leave, their first stop was to buy them brand new outfits. Tony told his girls, we're going home. We're going home. Little Victoria asked forever. He said, yes, forever. And then he writes this. We bought them a new outfit. And they immediately went to the bathroom and changed every garment. In their orphanage upon leaving, the children had to leave behind every piece of clothing they had been wearing. And they got new outfits. And he goes on to write this. What a picture of the gospel. They put off their old, smelly, orphanage garments and put on the clothes from their adoptive parents. New clothes, new identity, new home, new security, and a new way to live. Brothers and sisters, have you learned Jesus? And if you have, then you are new. And we ought to live new and different ways than the lost world around us. Because God indwells you. And He calls you and enables you to live holy, righteous lives. And hear me, you cannot do that on your own. I am not telling you do better. I'm telling you trust in Jesus more. Because it's His grace and His mercy and His Spirit that transforms us, that allows us to live these transformed lives so that a lost world will take notice that we believe in Jesus. And man, can He transform lives and He can save. Do you know Jesus? If you don't, will you give your life to Jesus now? And if you do know Jesus, how has He changed your life? How are you different this morning than you were before Christ saved and changed you? Would you close your eyes and bow your head? Father, you bring joy, bring joy into our life. He has saved me and he has changed me. Not to draw attention to ourselves, but to draw attention to you, Jesus. To focus upon you. Father, if there's anyone here this morning that doesn't know you, oh, Spirit of God, right now we plead, we intercede on their behalf that you would open their blind eyes, that you would give life to their dead spiritual bodies, that for the first time they would see their sinful ways and call upon the name of Jesus to save them. They have heard his name. They have been taught his name. He is true. Jesus, would you save right now? Save that person sitting on their couch, that person driving down the car who may listen five days later, but God hears this message at the right exact moment, save them. And then, Father, would you remind your people who were living in a day and age where we are surrounded by more and more people who do not even identify themselves with God, but who say there is no God. As we live in a day and an age when more and more people are rebelling against God, even changing the word of God to say something it does not. Father, we are living in a society that is fearing you less and less. And as a result of that, fear in every other part of their life is on the rise. They are terrified of so many things. 
But God, in the midst of that, you declare fear not. We have no reason to fear because we know Christ and have been saved through Jesus. And so, Father, as we worship right now, as we sing another song together, God, as we focus in upon you, oh, Lord, may we sing from the depths of our heart, maybe with tears in our eyes. May we just give gratitude and thankfulness that you are a God who transforms wretched sinners like us and transforms us into sons and daughters of the Most High King. You're making us in with me. How deep the Father's love for us. How vast beyond all measure that He should give His only Son to make a wretch's treasure. How great the pain of searing loss, the Father turns His face away, as wounds which by the chosen one bring many sons to glory. Behold the just a few minutes. So last week at this time of the service, I shared some exciting news uh, about how the Associate Pastor Search Committee is unanimous, that we believe that God has uh, led our next Associate Pastor to us and has led us to them. And so what we want to do for just a couple minutes this morning is we want you to hear from three of those committee members and then the rest of the committee members, if they desire, they'll have an opportunity to share uh, next week. So uh, Alex is going to come first, then Rebecca David's going to be last, and then David's just going to close us out with the word of prayer. So 
Um, Alex is coming. Just a reminder, no activities tonight or Wednesday night. Number two, I believe, Travis, is what I got there. Just a few things uh, that I found most encouraging um, about the candidate that we that that we decided uh, to present before you. Um, it was clear in our talks with him and gleaning from his answers that um, this is definitely God's candidate for our church. Um, and uh, a few things that he definitely emphasized and that were most encouraging were the emphasis that he puts on prayer and the reading of the scriptures and um, just how his lessons are going to come from the scriptures um, and tying that in with just God's will um, and outreach. Um, he's very excited to do different things in the community um, and just have that personal one-on-one -on -one relationship with his students. Um, he also did that um, <clears throat> as well as um, talking about building relationships, that was going to be one of the one of the things he's most excited about is just building relationships within our group and in our church. Um, and his overall excitement about being here and uh, that this is going to be his new church home. So uh, that was a lot of broad things, um, hopefully. But I, I was the first, so <laughs> I kind of got to, uh, to share with you a few things. So hopefully we'll continue to build on that. So thank you. Hi everyone, um, so I'm Rebecca if you don't know me, but I'm kind of giving you an overview of what all we did and kind of how um, me, myself, and everyone um, kind of came to the point where we were unanimous in all this. So originally we put out our first search in finding a new associate pastor and it really didn't go well the first time around. God had not opened the door for us yet to receive uh, the man who was supposed to pass uh, to associate pastor over Northside, and so um, it was kind of disappointing. But right when we opened it up again um, in December, our first um, our first resume was from this uh, from this man, and um, so it was very nice because I was able to listen to sermons and see his picture and picture of his family, which we had not seen um, pretty much any of the other candidates do. And so it was very encouraging to be able to see that. And so um, so being a youth, I had a different point of view in this whole entire uh, process. So one of my two main, well, both my two main criteria, why there are a lot for me, um, were someone who would choose to be an example for the youth and someone who would um, lead us in um, being servants and doing all that uh, stuff. And then another one was uh, being able to disciple us throughout our entire time at the youth. So um, after speaking with um, our candidate, uh, I could tell that he was all of these things that I was, so after that initial interview um, vir uh, virtually, I was very surprised and just very excited about the process. I remember looking at Alex and saying, this is, I'm pretty sure this is him because I was, I was so excited um, to finally have somebody that um, we could call um, our next associate pastor and youth pastor. And so um, after getting to actually speak with him face-to-face, -face, it was um, very clear to me that this was the next uh, guy I wanted to be, um, uh, to lead our youth as, um, as, because he was just, he was super amazing. He had very good, uh, he was able to share this amazing scripture that he could teach us. He was just super well-spoken and very, um, 
he was just a really great guy in all, and I really loved everything that he was planning to do uh, with us as youth. And so in the end, um, I believe this is the man for our church, and I'm super excited. Um, and just thank you, everyone, for um, all the prayers and, and uh, encouragements throughout this whole process. So thank you. We live in a real. We live in a relativistic society. You better now. There you go. Our candidate believes in the absolute truth of the Word of God. He believes in imparting that truth. He has a very, very high view of God, and his view of God's Word is right there with it. He seeks to teach the word. He seeks to live the word. He seeks to live it out, to teach others to live it out. He has a heart for students. He has a heart for people. Got a really cool accent, got great sarcasm. I enjoy that aspect. But he has a desire to see people grow in the word. Rebecca spoke of relationships. Alex spoke of relationships. He seeks to build relationships so that he can impart God's word to people. That's amazing, and that he stands on absolute truth, the absolute truth of the word of God. If it was a sin 100 years ago, if it was a sin 1,000 years ago, it's still a sin. He believes in that. I believe in that. I believe he is going to be a tremendous blessing to Northside, not just him, but his wife and his four children. They're eager to pour into Northside. They're eager to come in, roll up their sleeves, and work. I fully endorse our candidate for those reasons. All right, let's pray. Father God, we thank you for your holiness. Father, we thank you for your might. Father, we thank you that you are worthy to receive all praise, glory, and honor. Father, we thank you for the time to uplift our candidate. But Father, we thank you for the time to worship and praise you. We thank you for the time to study your word. Father, open our hearts to who you are, to all that you are. Father, overflood us with your joy, with your love, with your presence, with your peace. Father, we thank you for our pastor and the way he so rightly divides the word of truth week after week after week. Father, we pray your hedge of protection around him. Father, as we go out from this place, for those that are traveling this week, may you put your angels and ministers of grace around them. Give them traveling mercies. Father, protect them, guard them, bring them back safely. Father, for those that aren't, may your spirit pour forth from them this week in their goings in and their coming out. Father, may you be glorified in the lives of your church this week. Father, when we walk out the doors, let us live church. Let us live the Christian walk, the Christian faith. Father, help us to tell others about you. If not us, then who? And if not now, then when, Lord? Father, be glorified. Father, be lifted up. Father, we love you and we praise you. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.